Hi, friends. Welcome to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. I'm Leona Evans, and I'm here today, as always, with my son and co-host, Matthew J. Evans. Hi. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We really appreciate you joining us for this episode, which is one that definitely challenges us to take action. Yes, this one is a big one. So let's start with some important questions. Have people given so much power to their anger and fear that they no longer notice when they cross the line between honest debate and unbridled rage? Have people insulted each other on social media with name-calling and biting sarcasm one time too many? What do they hope to accomplish? I've heard many people say, I have the right to my own opinion and I have the right to express it. I should be able to say what I want. Well, no one says we can't say what we want. The real question is, where is it getting us? Why do we believe that insulting people and demeaning their intelligence will help them see our point of view? Why are people so angry? What are they really after? It's important for us to address these issues. We're getting to a point now where it feels like we're becoming more divided and more polarized. Debates on TV and online are so vicious and horrible. Name-calling, personal attacks, lies, any type of conversation has become so toxic they can't even be called debates anymore. There's a violent quality about not only our language, but our intentions. Instead of information gathering, it's about who yells the loudest and who can attack the strongest. And so the question is, what do we expect the outcome to be if we continue to go on like this? Are the greed and violence and power plays really bringing us closer to what we want? What's this behavior teaching our children? It used to be that there was only one bully in a classroom. Now it seems that there are bullies everywhere we look. Aggressive, defensive, frightened, frustrated people doing everything they can to tear each other down. No matter how justified we might be for having our specific beliefs, we need to be able to see that the all-or-nothing dynamic which is pitting people against each other is not working. What I notice in the political conversations that I hear and read about on social media is that compromise has suddenly become a dirty word. It implies giving up what you want and pandering to the other side. What is missing for me is a sense that dialogue with both sides is key, and that a certain kind of trust needs to be developed before any kind of negotiation is possible. It's really terribly frustrating to see this happening, knowing that conditions in our country are not moving forward. Nothing seems to be getting better. We just keep battling the same issues and pulling further and further apart. I remember years ago when I was growing up, listening to political meetings and televised debates. It seemed to me, for the most part, that the arguments were much more issue-oriented and far less personal. Then later on, when I took a debating class in school, there were clear rules and regulations about which kind of language would serve to further our point of view and doing our best to stay away from personal attacks. I found that training to be invaluable for any type of argument, to keep the issue at the forefront of any disagreement and refrain from digressing into personal or peripheral issues. 
I've watched debates from the past elections and read political speeches from candidates on both sides. There doesn't seem to be the same kind of vitriol and antagonism that we see today. Of course, there were many disagreements, but there was also the willingness to reach across party lines to work for the common good. I don't even see a possibility of that now. I hate to say it, but it seems like both sides are willing to fight to the deaths so that the winning side can be the only voice without any opposition. This is exactly the problem we want to address. Rosa Brooks, a member of the Transition Integrity Project and former Pentagon official in the Obama administration, said, People who study political violence have been warning for a long time that conditions that we're seeing in the United States resemble those that you see in countries that slide all the way down into civil conflict. We're only going further down that chute. Amy Chua, author of Political Tribes, Group Instinct, and the Fate of Nations, says, When groups feel threatened, they retreat into tribalism. They close ranks and become more insular, more defensive, more punitive, more us versus them. We can see this happening now, not just on one side, but on both sides. Not only that, but... People across the political spectrum struggle with confirmation bias, that is, giving too much benefit of the doubt to people with whom we agree and judging too harshly those with whom we disagree. We can't overestimate the level of anger and fear that is distorting our rational judgment. According to a senior official in the Homeland Security Department, they're seeing an historic spike in gun sales. There's some of the worst polarization in U.S. history. This is beyond a powder keg. This is the Titanic with powder kegs filled all the way to the hull. And this is exactly why we're doing this podcast, to point out that we need much more than aggression and violence to improve the human condition. We're in the midst of a spiritual emergency, and our future is at stake. We're going to need to call upon our inner strength and the power of love to heal and transform our human condition. The truth is, there's no type of violence that is as strong or truly powerful as the invincible power of love. And so, I respectfully challenge all of us to get off our affirmation and communicate our disagreements with dignity and respect. Again, I respectfully challenge all of us to get off our affirmation and communicate our disagreements with dignity and respect. We need to talk now about how to move past the anger. As long as we feel that we're being personally attacked and that our well-being is being threatened, we'll feel like we'll have to attack back. How can we debate even the most benign issue when people are feeling so scared and angry? What causes us to respond so aggressively to political discussions? For the most part, people usually seem so rational and mature. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde pendulum swing. Instead of caring about one another, we seem to be targeting one another. Remember when the pandemic was first announced? People were singing on their balconies in solidarity, reaching out to one another with loving and supporting gestures, sewing masks, playing music, making sure their neighbors had food. And then the pressure started building. We didn't know how to handle the stress we were experiencing. 
People were dying. Businesses were closing. And we started looking for people to blame. Why is this happening? Whose fault is it? When will we go back to normal? Then we began to see people on television, notably politicians, shouting angry insults at one another, venting their frustrations on their colleagues in ways we hadn't seen before. And if that weren't enough to provoke anxiety, we became aware of a particular brand of toxic dialogue that used to live just on a few corners of the internet and now showing up all over social media and in everyday conversation. Hate speech, name-calling, racial and religious slurs, and if that weren't enough, conspiracy theories coming out of the woodwork. I remember a particular time when debunking conspiracy theories was left to a handful of internet personalities. But as these wild theories got more and more popular, they made the jump into the mainstream. I was really shocked to see some of the terms and phrases that I used to assume lived only on the internet repeated on network television. Of course, the hate speech that accompanied those ideas would also become a part of the dialogue, So how could we not expect hate speech to become involved in the hateful interactions people are having every minute? In worst-case scenarios, as we've been seeing happening more and more these days, that verbal violence escalates into physical violence, which has been really, really frightening. Yes, it certainly has. A really fascinating aspect of this whole phenomenon is that the outrage and violence is being triggered by a different part of our brain, which many refer to as the reptilian brain or the primal brain, which represents our most basic urges and drives such as aggression, dominance, greed, power. The primal brain is triggered into action when we sense an immediate danger to our self-preserving behavior patterns. Once this takes place, we literally stop thinking and react on instinct. Now, experts believe that the primal brain seems to originate from early developmental stages of human instinctive behavior as a reaction pattern in response to danger. Once we find ourselves in that mode, we attack as though our very lives depend on it, and there's no possibility of a rational discussion. It's very much like a switch that goes off in us, and it seems as though we're no longer in control of our responses. Psychologists are very aware of how those triggers can manipulate human beings to incite that kind of response. Politicians are able to paint pictures with their words that evoke unconscious emotional responses that seem to overtake our good judgment and rational thinking because the primal brain does not use language. It's a total visceral response. Before we know it, we're passionate about taking some kind of action, and history shows that a number of charismatic leaders have incited mobs by knowing how to use the right words or images to get hundreds of thousands of people to follow their lead without exactly understanding why. That's really frightening and seems way too easy to slip into. Yes, and I think that would make a good show topic in and of itself. But getting back to this issue, especially because so few people are aware of this phenomenon. We don't realize that the primal brain will take over without our permission, and suddenly we'll find ourselves feeling enraged or panicked or even paranoid. 
We're overwhelmed with the feeling that we're not safe and in many cases believe that someone needs to save us. So all of this is to say that both sides of the political spectrum, especially the more radical, are often not in a position to be reasoned with. Those who are triggered into a primal response will not be able to respond to rational conversation or reasonable debates because they're overwhelmed with powerful emotions that can be volatile and unpredictable. So now we're beginning to understand how we got here and why many times it's so difficult to discuss issues with people who are coming from an unconscious emotional response. What makes it even more difficult is that over time, our resolve gets worn down and we become triggered by all the hateful energy. We get fed up and we start contributing to it too. Our well-intended efforts to stand up for what we believe in by being just as aggressive as those whose ideas we oppose is actually contributing to the problem. Oh, absolutely. It becomes so easy to get sucked into the cycle of verbal violence. Pretty soon our own primal brain gets triggered and we feel aggressive and pumped up and ready to win at all costs. It truly is a vicious cycle that has no positive outcome. But, in spite of everything that seems to stand in the way, there is a way out. Socrates once said, The secret of change is to focus all your energy not on finding the old, but on building the new. Building the new is going to have to be done with those of us who are willing to control our knee-jerk reactions to fear and anger and not be reduced to puppets of our primitive brain. Gandhi has said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And as we so often say on this program and will continue to say, the real power is in nonviolence. The real power is in love. The power is a choice that we make when we realize that our fear and anger can be so strong that all we want to do is hurl insults and degrading remarks at those who cannot and will not see how right we are. The path to freedom and fulfillment of our spiritual ideals is one that has to be based in love. It's a tough path, though. Is it too idealistic to be practical? I don't think it is anymore. We've come to a stalemate, and more and more of us are beginning to see the futility of violence and hatred and bigotry. And so we need to acknowledge our reptilian or primal brain and understand that while its adrenaline-charged, emotion-charged reactions have enabled us to survive throughout millions of years of evolution, they no longer serve us in furthering our evolutionary goals, which include not fight or flight, but harmony and inclusion. We've talked before on this program about the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde metaphor, which is a big concern for many people when we talk about moving away from the instincts of the primal brain. In the story, when Dr. Jekyll takes his potion in an effort to remove the violence and darkness from his nature, he ends up also giving up his passion and willpower. Dr. Jekyll's goodness is represented as weakness, and the unbridled passion of Mr. Hyde is represented as strength. 
So many of us equate nonviolence, love, compassion with weakness. We really need to take a look at that because the opposite is true. That is a really, really important point. In reality, violence destroys. It burns itself out. It's love that builds and transforms. This is why we need to be able to recognize the reptilian brain activity as it goes on inside of us and choose to find our way back to our more evolved brain functions. The question that needs to be uppermost in our minds is, what is our purpose? If it's peace we want, then we need to give up the eye-for-an-eye mindset. If it's peace we want, we need to give up the insatiable need to win at the expense of others. If it's peace we want, we will discipline ourselves to teach the way of compassion and respect. We're better than our reptilian brain. We're more dignified, more ethical, and more capable of going on public forums such as social media and resisting the need to shame or blame others. We have the right to stand up with spiritual strength and speak for the truths that we stand for and start talking to opponents rather than enemies. Experts tell us we need to divert our attention away from the volatile responses of our reptilian brain and interrupt that stream of emotion by placing our attention somewhere else. Deep breathing has shown to be extremely effective in giving our mind time to move the more violent response to a more rational one. So many people think of taking deep breaths and counting to 10 as something too simple and childish to really be effective, but it's actually quite powerful to break the cycle of an automatic and often volatile response. Meditating on a regular basis, reading the works of the great peacemakers, and reflecting on the power of their words, reevaluating your purpose statements on a daily basis, and working with friends and allies who support that purpose. And probably one of the most important techniques for diverting our attention from the reptilian or primal brain is to not be shocked, dismayed, or defeated when your opponents call you names or laugh at you or attempt to belittle you. That will happen when you try to engage in respectful and compassionate conversation. But something else will also happen. Hearts will be softened. You'll be part of helping others divert their attention from their reptilian brain to a higher response. You'll retain your dignity and acknowledge the dignity of those with whom you disagree. No longer will we be fighting enemies, but we'll be debating our points of view with opponents. Our will and dedication to respectful and compassionate interaction will strengthen us, and we'll find a new level of self-acceptance and self-respect. Yes, we'll be able to become really familiar with our reptilian brain activity and be able to interrupt it in its present form and transform it to a higher level of spiritual experience. This is what it means when we say taking our power back. Yes, we need to take our power back and we need to redefine what power really is. As we've said before, goodness, love, compassion, these are not words that depict weakness. This is not 
a non-action series of words. Rather, these words represent the strength of the enlightened mind, the power of the new evolutionary expression of wholeness. Julian Huxley said not that long ago, we are the managing directors of our own evolution. And the more able we are to recognize that that reptilian or primal brain is something that had much more use for us thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, than it does now, the more able we are to understand that there are times when it does play a point in our lives, but we must surrender to a more rational, a more holistic, a more respectful way of communicating with one another. We can, and we must, do it now. Thanks so much for your attention, for your support. It means a great deal. Please get in contact with us. Subscribe on our website, getoffyouraffirmation.com, and connect with us on Facebook. We really look forward to hearing your feedback. Have a wonderful week. You deserve it.